Hey guys, my name is Quinn Cully and this is True Product, a show that dives into the weeds of real projects with PMs from around the world. Our guest today is Johnny Hitman from Square Roots, an urban farming company based here in Brooklyn. As usual, we'll cover a bit about the company, internal team structure, how they define objectives and prioritize projects, and finally, we'll jump into our deep dive on a specific project Johnny worked on. Some of the highlights from the chat today are the benefits of working 20 yards from your end users, when scope creep actually helps you uncover new problems worth solving, and the true definition of done. As always, if you have any feedback, please find us on Twitter or LinkedIn at True Product Podcast. Thanks. Enjoy. joining the show. It's good to have you on. Um, if you wouldn't mind, I'd love to hear a little bit about who you are, who you're working for, what the company does, the basics. Sure, sure. Uh, Johnny Hitman, product manager at Square Roots. Uh, what we do is we are an urban farm located in Brooklyn, HQ in Brooklyn. We have farms in Brooklyn and Grand Rapids, Michigan. Um, so it's a, an indoor vertical farm that we built inside repurposed shipping containers. Very cool. Um, the business model here in Brooklyn is we grow food in those by farmers and we sell them, we distribute them ourselves and then we sell them to grocery stores. Um, so the end product is is produce. It's a pretty simple business. We grow food and then sell food. And what, what do you guys sell right now exactly? So uh, we're mostly focused on herbs. Um, we've grown tons of leafy greens in the past, um, definitely some fruiting crops that we've experimented with, but right now in grocery stores, it's a lot of basil, chives mint we've sold plenty of sage and there's a lot of things like cilantro and other things in the works as well nice uh, and how does a product manager fit into selling leafy greens right so because it's an indoor farm um, there's a lot of technology that goes into it it's a totally controlled environment it's called cea controlled environment agriculture and uh, so the climate um, is all controlled um, the water nutrients, the water contains nutrients that, that require monitoring. So all of these environmental factors need to be monitored and controlled. And we have the software that helps do that. Um, there's also a component where um, every month, or excuse me, every 12 months, we have a new class of farmers that are coming on. It's kind of a double nice. bottom line business. So um, we're we're paying the farmers, but it's also a value exchange. We're teaching them how to uh, grow it using hydroponics so they can become professionals in urban agriculture. And uh, so because we have a new class of farmers every 12 months, we need to teach them how to do things and also maintain a production facility. So in order to do that, we have this platform that um, instructs them how to do things, um, tells them exactly what they should be doing, when to follow a production schedule, and that's kind of the, uh, the system that also prompts data collection. There is a certain amount of manual data collection that we still require. So it might say something like you're harvesting from this area of the farm. Um, and when it's instructing them how to do that, it's also saying, okay, now weigh this bin, tell me what it weighs here. And so that's kind of how we measure certain parts of yield and, and waste and things like that. Nice. Yeah. Very cool. Um, talking about the team structure. So what does the product and engineering team look like and who are the teams that you kind of directly involved with? Sure. So uh, right now I'm a product team of one. Um, we have three full-time software engineers. 
we have two hardware engineers. We kind of consider ourselves part of the same team, but we're on different cadences. Um, there's also a very big, the biggest department is definitely the farming team. Um, that's farm manager, some assistant farm managers, and then the class of farmers, which right now in Brooklyn is nine farmers. And these are people that are basically right out of college, kind of that kind of age, uh, looking to get into the business. So that's a whole department. And then there's a small sales department, small marketing, and uh, some operations sprinkled in there as well. Very cool. Yeah. Um, Great. All right. Talk to me about your planning and prioritization. So how do either on a yearly, quarterly, or monthly basis, you guys set objectives and actually prioritize what to work on? Sure, sure. Um, so basically our, our KPIs are, are the direction that the product needs to go. It's extremely tightly connected with uh, the general direction of like what our business priorities are, right? So unlike a software team that um, the software is the main product um, where it's, you know, we need to get certain number of users and we need certain retention or whatever. Yeah. It's more, we know that we need to grow food better. Yeah. How can we support doing that? So, um, some of our main things would be like just increasing yield. How can we influence increasing yield? Yeah. There are things, there are levers that we as a software team can pull. There are levers that we can't, right? Sometimes it's just operational processes that we don't, we're not really involved with. Um, others is things that we might be a part of are um, just making sure that the environment is always stable. That's really important for us, obviously. So the more that we can ensure we have 100% uptime, yep. those are important projects for us. So it's really tightly connected to like the high level business priorities. Nice. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, and do you guys usually regroup on those priorities at a certain cadence or is it yeah. liquid? So we, it's not really it's not fluid at all really like we have these high level uh business priorities and so when we did our six month roadmap planning um it was we started there you know increasing yield and maintaining 100 percent uptime uh and then scalability because nice. we and we plan on scaling quite a bit this year yep. into different cities um and so those are our three like company level things and so we started there and we kind of said okay, now let's brainstorm how we could possibly influence these things. Mm -hmm. So, um, like I said, there might be additional data that we could collect um, to help increase yield. You know, if we're not recording this or that, yeah. if we could start to collect that um, in a structured way and, and make sure that we're um, prompting the farmers to collect things the right way, then maybe that's data that will, in the future, tell us um, what's most important or... Uh, help us to, to, to do like a, a deep dive an, in at the analytics um, that that might in, give us some insights for, for improving yield in the future. Very cool. Um, so it's kind of, that's at a highest level. We start there and then we just kind of back into um, what are the potential features. And then um, we, we kind of then do an evaluation of which features would have the biggest impact. Um, you know, again, what can we influence and what can't we? So yeah. we might say, yes, uh, increasing yield is our biggest priority. However, of the features that we just listed, yeah. um, it's not, uh, it, it, there's only so many things that we can influence, yeah. you know? So we might deprioritize those features. Yeah. And is it, who is usually surfacing those features? Is it you and the engineering team? Is it executives as well? 
I mean, because we're a small company, we're um, really closely involved with the farm team. Like yeah. we talk to them all day. Um, we all do shifts in the farm. So it's kind of passive feedback, just things that through conversations or things that we're noticing when we're down in the farm. Yeah. Oh, they're having trouble with this or they asked for this, but really what they mean is that. So it's kind of, um, there's a lot of that passive things and we also just have a formal feedback process where farmers will say, hey, it'd be great if we could do this or that. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of where it all starts and then we break that into a feature and then from there it's kind of I'll write an initial feature spec. Yeah. Um, we will we have a regular meeting that isn't tied to the sprints it's more hey we need to discuss things as a team yep. it's, it's important to mention also that uh, this team of engineers is particularly collaborative yeah. they um, they're very involved in the discovery process and being a product team of one I, that's extremely valuable yeah um, so yeah I'll write an initial spec that's really just stating this is the problem Here's a very lightly proposed solution, yep. but not being in love with that solution at all. We'll kind of toss it around a little bit. Um, and then usually it's uh, a bunch of action items for me. Like we need yeah. to figure this out. We can't do this because of whatever. Um, I'll kind of work on that way before we feel like we need to prioritize it. So yep. that's kind of happening separately. Yeah. yeah. And so those types of conversations are, are constantly happening. Obviously, we're going back to the users to make sure that this will solve the problem that they are uh, trying to solve. And then uh, Fridays is when we plan for the following sprint. Um, and that is usually a culmination of many of those types of conversations that I was just yeah. describing, which happened weeks earlier. Yeah. So once we do a few iterations of, yeah, we feel confident in this spec, this is a feature that we know is... Um, fully fleshed out and and ready to go and we deem that it is it will have the impact that we want it to have yeah and it's a high priority then we'll prioritize that in planning nice yeah that makes sense yeah um all right so we walked through a little bit about the team yeah how you guys define objectives and prioritize stuff let's dive into a specific project now so what do you sure. got for us yeah so uh i was thinking about this and um there is a project that we did a few months ago, which essentially is this alerting system. So um, as I described, the platform that we have, um, it reads a lot of environmental metrics from all of our farms. And so <clears throat> this is things like air temperature, water temperature, nutrient levels, pH, humidity, CO2 levels, things like that. And so we're collecting that very regularly. It's all put in a platform. It's beautiful, easy to read, very helpful for the farm managers just to make sure that um, you know the farms are doing what they want. Yep. The problem that we're trying to solve here though is you know we want all of our employees, farmers alike to kind of have a life and be able to go home on a Saturday night. Yeah, makes sense. Meaning they're not going to be looking at this software platform. Yeah. However, the farm doesn't take any time off. It's still going through yep. the weekend. So the idea is that if something reaches a threshold that's uh, unacceptable in any of those categories, it could kind of either Slack, text, call them, something. The idea originally is if they need to get out of bed in the middle of the night, yeah. like this should tell them that, yeah. right? And and that very, very rarely happens for the record, but you, know, you could imagine a scenario where 
the power goes out in the middle of the summer yeah. and like suddenly somebody needs to do some damage control. Yeah. Um, it's real world downtime. Exactly. And so, you know, if the AC craps out in the middle of the night in the summer, yeah. those plants are going to fry You're going to show up the next morning and we're going to lose a crop. Yeah. And that's unacceptable. So it sounds like a big problem. Here. Yeah. Major, yeah. major problem. So, uh, the idea is that if it, if one of those metrics that's critical reaches a certain level, um, it would slack or text them and basically wake them up in the middle of the night. Yep. Um, so we gathered a lot of these requirements from the farm managers who said, yes, I, I mean, if the temperature's at this level, I need to know immediately. Yeah. Um, if the pH is at this level, I need to know immediately. Yeah. Things like that. And it's usually you going to the farmers and telling us, like, hey, what should these alerts be? That's, Versus you guys looking at the data and saying, like, yeah. It's this. I'd, I'd say it's it's both. Like we we know what the accept we know what the standard range yeah, yeah, yeah. is. Like we can see, okay, it's never going to get to ninety degrees. Yeah. But um, <laughs> you know, I think it it was a more of a question of you know occasionally a spike will happen. When do you think you need to know? Yeah. Um, and so we collected all of this information, and when we you know we built all these these ranges in, and when we flipped that switch. Suddenly, there were a lot of alerts, <laughs> um, which was interesting. I mean, and, and it's not that our environment wasn't maintaining itself properly. It's that all of these factors kind of play with each other. Yeah. So, like, if the, uh, the humidity and, and air temperature are really closely connected, um, same with uh, the way we measure nutrients is called EC. It's, yeah. like, it's a proxy for, for nutrients in the water. And... Um, the air temperature directly affects that right so if one thing goes a little if one thing bounces then it could cascade not to mention the temperature will never be perfectly consistent right it's the there are artificial lights in there it heats up the farm we have an air conditioning type of unit that you know checks that and so it's always going to bounce a little bit but it's really small fluctuations and so in the initial uh, the initial implementation of this alerting system, there were just a lot of these things that some of them were really important. Yeah. Like air temperature is something we can't really budge on. Yeah. Whereas if EC dips a little bit here or there, but then regulates itself, not the end of the world. Yeah. Um, so we kind of, I mean, that was, that was very eye opening to so, us. So, and so you, just to put yeah. a time frame around it, you shipped V1 in what, uh, how, what was the time frame from like, all right, we're going to do this to getting it out the door. Uh, I'm not maybe two weeks. Okay, nice. So you get yeah. it out there, and then how quickly are you like? E, we got to do something. Well, right away, we kind of expected like, yeah, yeah, yeah. we have the ranges intentionally tight, yeah. you know, but let's just kind of see how it goes. Yeah. And so we kind of expected this. The only involved, we have a few different user groups. Farmers are one. Farm managers are kind of a different one. Yeah. So we only really uh, expose the farm managers to this. Who. Uh, it's worth noting we can talk to directly yeah, and say, exactly. hey, so we good. know this isn't going to perfect yeah. be perfect, but um, it's, you know, it's it just deal with it for the time being. Yeah. We can do that with a handful of features being an internal product. Yep. Um, so, yeah, so we rolled that out feature. Uh, the alerts were going going off a bit. And one of the things that was actually surprising was the farm managers didn't hate it. They... Right. So we were like, oh, this is a, this is not what we want. It's basically going to dilute the importance yep. of what an alert should be. Um, but they were like, no, it gives me context. If I can see that, you know, the pH is trending one direction, I know I have to get go come around to looking at it, things like that. Yep. So that was an interesting finding yeah, right there. Very cool. 
Um, and so essentially we kind of kept iterating on this, whether it's like maybe we need to be a little bit more lenient on our ranges, make it a little bit more dynamic. Yeah. So, um, you know, the ranges will change a little bit over time. And we were kind of over We just fell in love with this feature. We were over engineering it a bit by bit. And we kind of had to pull ourselves back in one meeting. And we're like, this isn't even solving the problem. So we went way back to the basics, where it's like, what needs to get these people out of bed? And it was um, very, a handful of alerts, right? Yeah. Whereas everything else could maybe wait till morning. Yeah. And that's the thing that we were struggling with because, like I said, the farm managers, they, they liked the context it was giving them. Yeah. But so they were afraid to say, like, no, we don't like this. Yeah. But really what they wanted is, um, you know, it would be rather than getting a ping every time, it's more like it would be great if this could be summarized for me yeah. every re few re hours. It sounds or like, something. It, like it, it morphed into like reporting versus alerts. Exactly. So there are still now a handful of alerts that very much, if one goes off, you're expect whoever's on call is expected to get out of bed. Nice. Um, but the all that context w was pretty revealing, or the, the fact that they they thought it gave them context that was revealing in that okay we need to create some other type of report yeah, that they're want. looking at at least daily if not more. And so that's more of what we're calling like a, a kind of a digest. It's like hey what's trending in a direction that I need to keep an eye on, and you know that that's still extremely important um, information for them, but yeah. it's not get out of bed at 3 a.m. information. Yeah. So um, it kind of, it was uh, very humbling yeah. when we finally were like, we over-engineered the shit out of this. But <laughs> um, I, I think we ultimately landed in, in the right place. And so where are we right now? If I were to log in as a user, what am I, what am I seeing? The end state that I just described. Oh, so nice. there's, a, there's only a handful of, of critical alerts yeah. that we think are set at the right set points. Yeah. Um, they go off very infrequently and, and do you do you declare those alerts or does the end user like, you mean like what the ranges yeah, are? yeah what the ranges are like oh, i want alerts for abc like it's optional or do you say so, oh, you're opted in? so at the moment it's it's heavily influenced by the user but we said like these are the we we've established that these are yeah. the 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 core important ones yeah um and uh, the rest of it is is in a report. Yeah, nice. yeah, very very cool. Yeah. Um, the uh, so we did talk too much about uh, some of the nitty gritty of just like the tooling you use throughout your day to day. Sure. Um, everything from uh, I don't know project management to analytics to anything else. What where do you live? And I understand that for something like this, you're very lucky where you have your users right there, so mm -hmm. you don't have to be staring at so many dashboards or reporting or anything to try to decipher right. what's going on but where do you live elsewhere right um so we have this platform that's um where i'm constantly just uh keeping tabs it, the idea is that it, it kind of surfaces whatever's happening in the farm anyone in the organization can see it right so it's there we use pivotal tracker as a project management tool nice. this is the first company i've worked at that uses that um and i really like it do you yeah um I've yet to use it. Yeah, it was heavily influenced by one of our engineers who swore by it. Nice. And it is definitely engineering-centric. Yeah. Like It's not really? like Jira or Asana where you can yeah. use it on different teams, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like, like, this is how it works. And you have a few options. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it works really well for us. Honestly, actually, when we first started, it was a team of me and two engineers. Yeah. 
and we just used Trello for like a few months, yep. and it was just because it was free, and we were kind of figuring it out ourselves, yeah, and so it, it's as flexible as it gets. There are a lot of features it does not have, yeah. but um, we used that until we kind of got to a point where we're like, all right, we know what we need. Um, so yeah, we use that. I use uh, Mode Analytics just for, it's just a, like a SQL workbench that sits oh, nice. on top okay. of our uh, Postgres database. Nice. So that anybody can get in there and just query. Yeah, exactly. Nice. That's that's. Um, so we have a handful of dashboards set up there. But cool. really, the way I use that is if I'm pulling a report regularly, yeah. that means it probably should go in the app yeah. at some point because yeah. that means I'm either pulling it for other people who want to see it regularly, or if I'm just like this is really useful information. Um, then it means we should probably build some sort of yeah. dashboard. And when you say the app, in my head, there's uh, obviously like uh, maybe some business users that yeah. want to know certain metrics, and then you have your farmers. Is that true? Or yeah, that's that's exactly okay. right. So um, there's like farmers and farm manager who are um, analyzing environmental stuff and logging information um, as they you know perform processes. Yep. There's also this this core user set of, of operational people. Nice. So there's an analytics side of, of the application. We call it the tool belt, but um, it just, all of the information that um, the farmers are logging from yield and waste and all of this other stuff uh, goes into this dashboard and there are a handful of visualizations. That's how like sales, on uh, that's how okay. sa sales understands what that. They um, sell, what the actual inventory is. That's exactly right. And yeah, then that's how we report on weekly KPIs too. So. Um, you know, sellable yield is uh, really? one of our main company KPIs yeah. and um, our tool is how we do it. That's a very, very cool little circle you have between yeah. like having these users inside here and like everything I build for them ends up spitting out reports that feed the business. And It's, it's actually a really good quality check too because manual data entry always like makes people cringe a little bit. Yeah. Um, but if something's just spiking a little bit too fast, yeah. then anybody who's kind of responsible for that campus, the reporting on that campus, yeah. they'll start to poke around, ask See, questions, yeah. and you know, occasionally with human entered data, it'll be, oh, I entered that wrong. Yeah. This is what it should have been. Uh, I accidentally hit an extra zero. Um, so it's it's kind of uh, a great way to just make sure that that doesn't happen. Is because there are these campus managers that are constantly monitoring what people are submitting anyway nice. and then that all bubbles up so mm -hmm. if we weren't expecting to have a a week that doubled in yield yeah, then yeah. we can catch that pretty quickly that is very very interesting yeah yeah um anything going back on that project we just talked about anything that you if you could go backwards would change and do over hmm um i think it's just one of the main lessons we learned there is uh it's this thing that we honestly say all the time, which is a Marty Kagan special, don't, in, uh, don't fall in love with the solution, fall in love with the problem, right? Love that. And it's, as, it's the corniest product cliche you could have. Yeah, but everybody needs to repeat that. We say it all the time because it's true. And um, especially, I think, being an internal product team, yeah. we, we're really more of like a technical solutions team. Yeah. You know, we're not, our product isn't, to the end consumer. Yeah. And so it's more, we need to help our company reach our reach certain goals. It doesn't matter how we get there. Yep. People don't care about if we have feature parity with one thing or another. Yeah. So we don't commit to features. It's more, are we solving the problem or not? And if we deploy a feature, it doesn't solve the problem. We shouldn't be off the hook saying, oh, we, we delivered on our OKR of deploying that yeah. feature. It's more, our OKR is 
we need to help solve this problem. Did we influence that? So very cool. It's um, yeah. It just kind of reminded us like don't over engineer or fall in love with a particular solution because it's really cool and unique. It's more if this isn't actually helping people, then take a step back. I love that. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, wrapping up, uh, do you have any questions that you would like answered from other PMs at other companies? Or is there anything you're curious about? Like we do stuff this way. How do other PMs do this? Yeah, I think uh, the one thing that I would love <laughs> some advice on is, um, so we have uh, a hardware and software component, obviously. Yeah. Um, a lot of the product stuff you read just that I mean we're in the minority of, of that yeah. type of team right so a lot of product managers are working on software exclusively yep. and so just kind of figuring out what that communication should look like um, how much software should help drive what hardware hardware does or and vice versa yep. um, like right now we're uh, a team of six yep. it's pretty easy to communicate yeah. We expect to grow quite a bit this year. Yeah. I, I would love to kind of learn more strategies on how those two teams could communicate. Yeah, I'm very, very interested to see how the process kind of unfolds yeah. as you guys grow. Um, Same. <laughs> great. Well, I, I love that. Obviously, hardware is not something that I've had a lot of experience with, but I'm really interested in the same uh, category. So hopefully we can get a few people on. Yeah. Um, all right, Johnny. Well, thank you very much for coming on here. I appreciate it. I'm very jealous of the ecosystem you have um, <laughs> for so many reasons, but... Thank you very much. Yeah, my pleasure. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening, guys. If you have any feedback at all, or want to share this with someone who might enjoy it, please find us on Twitter or LinkedIn at True Product Podcast. Thanks. Bye.